Praise God. Good morning. How's everyone doing? Super excited to be in the house of the Lord. Uh, my name is Pastor Alberto. I serve here as the lead pastor of this church uh, alongside our team of elders with chief elder being Jesus. So, uh, so excited to, to worship and be here. Uh, one of the things that I'm most passionate about, and you, you've heard me say this a lot, is, is family. I'm just fascinated by how the gospel uh, tears down every single barrier, uh, ethnic barrier, cultural barrier, barriers of status, power, and wealth, um, and unites us uh, as one in Christ. Uh, I, I'm just so fascinated by this idea that you and I are family, not because of what we have in common, but because of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. Uh, and our church is a part of a, a bigger family. We're a part of a family called Every Nation, which is a family of churches and ministries uh, that seeks to honor God and make disciples by establishing campus ministries and, and churches all over the world. And so one of the churches that, that is our sister church that actually played a big hand in planting this church many years ago is Mosaic in, in North Austin. Uh, and, and we have incredible relationship. They're our sister church. And this morning... Uh, I've invited one of their pastors, Pastor Nathan Brown, to come share the word with us. Now, Pastor Nathan is an incredible man of God, an incredible worship leader, super anointed. You're about to see that. Uh, we got to eat lunch last week, and uh, one of the quickest ways to, to cross over from being friends to family in my book is an hour and a half of barbecue and talking about Jesus, uh, and, and we did just that. And so uh, if you want to invite me to some barbecue and you want to block out two hours, let's do it. Uh, it was just an incredible sweet time of sharing our stories, and Nathan has such a tender heart for Jesus as an incredible leader, and uh, I think he has an incredible word that's going to bless all of us. So will you help me welcome Pastor Nathan Brown? All right, thanks for having me. It's good to be here. This is, um, this is my parents. Uh, my parents live in this town, and so I... Uh, you know, when you're pre- your mom is always your mom, no matter how old you get, right? And so I invited her, and so she came today. It's my mom, Jerry, and then my wife, Ashley, sitting next to her, my son, Luke, and then our pseudo-adopted daughter, Bethany, is here with us today. Our other three kids are not, um, but we are so excited to be here at this church. I've, I've been aware of this church for a long time, and I've been in the building a few times, but never for a service. So this is my first service here, and uh, I'm excited to be here. Um, also, uh, Pastor Alberto is right. Barbecue, it, it goes with spirituality. I don't know if you know this, but there's a great story in the Bible where God came to Peter and said, rise up, kill and eat. So that's a command from Jesus to sacrifice the calf on the altar and partake. All right, that's enough about that. Well, I know that you guys have been going through James, the book of James here, and we're just going to continue on with that. Today we're going to be in chapter 4, and I believe it's your tradition, and even if it wasn't, I'd ask you to do it anyway. So let's stand for the reading of God's word together. We're going to go James chapter 4, and we're going to look at the first 10 verses of this passage here. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust and you do not have, so you commit murder. You're envious and you cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. And you do not have because you do not ask. And you ask and you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that Scripture speaks to no purpose? He jealously desires the Spirit, which He has made to dwell in us. 
But he gives the greater grace. And therefore it says, God opposed, is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. I'm so encouraged already. Humble yourself in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. And that is the word of the Lord. You would stay standing while we pray, and then we'll be seated in just a moment. God, we thank you for your word. I thank you that it is alive, that it is breathing, that it is active, it's sharper than a two-edged sword, able to come in and to divide soul from spirit, bone from marrow. Lord, I pray right now that the double-edged sword that both cuts and heals would do just that. Lord, I pray this morning that as your word goes forth, Lord, that your purposes would be established and your ways would be made known. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you may be seated. Yeah, it's such an encouraging passage from our, our dear brother James. Um, let's see, he called us murderers, he called us adulterers, he told us we were envious. Like, this is, this is really encouraging stuff. And oh, by the way, he is talking to believers. I'm sure Pastor Berto's already covered this, but this is not a book written to the people who don't know Jesus. This is a book, a letter written to people who are trying to follow Jesus, and James is trying to help them out. Um, have you ever had, though, somebody like come and tell you something that you really didn't want to hear? And it didn't feel real good when they told you, but maybe a little bit later you realized it was actually exactly what you needed. Am I the only one who's had that experience like seven or eight thousand times in life? Um, that's me. Yeah, well, that's exactly what James is doing here. So he's coming in, and, and, and actually, I don't know if you caught this, but he doesn't even get into like what the conflict was. He, he knows there's conflict. He doesn't care about the specifics. What he wants to get to is the heart. So he goes straight in with verse 1. I'll just read it again. He says this, What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? And the reason he's having to ask that is because what he knows about them is that their fight really isn't their fight. I don't know about, about you, but have you ever like been in a fight, but what you're fighting about isn't really the fight? You know what I'm talking about? My wife Ashley and I, we've been married 15 years, 10 happily. Love you. Um, and I remember early on that we used to get in the dumbest fights about the dumbest stuff. And the reason why is because we were fighting about one thing, but the fight was really a different thing. Do you know what I mean? And so when you're fighting the fight that's not the fight, you can be distracted and never actually get to what you need to get to. And so what we did and what we do all the time is we fight about symptoms and we never really get to the sickness. And James knows that, and so that's why when he comes in, he doesn't care what they're fighting about. He cares about why they're fighting. He exposes the real reason behind the conflict, and then he tries to apply his faith and our faith to the heart-level issue so that they can know what they're dealing with and actually deal with it. So we're going to take a little journey with him today. We're going to explore the idea of faith and conflict. That's the title of today's message. If you're writing it down, you can write that down, Faith and Conflict. Subtitle, are you ready? How many love subtitles? How to pick your battles, how to fight well, and how to live unoffendable. If you're sitting next to somebody, tell them, pick your battles. Pick your battles. you got to pick your battles. And again, faith and conflict. We're going to do this in this passage. We're going to look at kind of three points that we're going to draw out of this. It's a three-point sermon. Praise the Lord. There you go. It's just what you came for today, a three-point message. First, the fight among us. We're going to talk about the fight among us. Then, number two, we're going to talk about the fight in us. And we're going to close by talking about the most important fight, which is the fight for love. And we'll have some good news at the end, but buckle up and maybe a little bit of a bumpy ride until we get there. 
So let's start with number one, the fight among us. Again, verse one that we just talked about, James comes in and he's asking a question that he already knows the answer to. Rhetorical question. You probably do this all the time. You ask a question, you already know the answer. But he comes in and says, what's the source of the conflicts among you? Don't worry, I'll go ahead and tell you because I know, and oh, by the way, the devil knows, the source is you. It's you. That's what James is trying to tell him right here. But he comes in and and, and he's trying to expose this because like I just said, not only does James know the problem with what's going on, but the enemy knows. And listen, we live in a, in a natural world, but there's a supernatural reality all around us, and there is an enemy. There is a devil. The Bible says he, he prowls around like a roaring lion. I love that word like, by the way, because that means he's actually not. He's just like that. He's just like a roaring lion, but we can actually defeat him if we follow Jesus. But the devil knows something, and here's what he knows. He knows that if God's people are busy fighting with each other, They're not going to have the time, the energy, the focus, much less the anointing to fight their own flesh or him. So one of his primary tactics to sort of neutralize the people of God is to get us to fight with each other about dumb stuff that's not even really the fight. You see how that works? And listen, it works well. I mean, there's a hundred reasons, and they're just dumb reasons that Christians fight with each other. And yet, and yet, that's what we do. No matter how dumb it is, we get sucked into it. I do, and you do. We all do. We get sucked into those things. We spend too much of our time and energy fighting with each other. And then some of us actually fight people that don't know we're fighting with them. You know what I'm talking about? They fight people that don't know. No, you're looking at me confused. Okay, I know. You're like, Nathan, if you've been in a fight, you know you've been in a fight. I know that's a thing. Listen, when I was in high school, I had this friend, and... um, he was a redneck, and I'm a little redneck too, so that's a term of endearment. Don't get offended. So, um, but but he, he, was, he, he was a different kind of guy, and for some reason, he really liked to get in fights. Like, it was weird. He was like, man, I love it when I get hit. I feel so alive. I'm like, you're crazy, and I know the question that you're all asking yourself right now is like, why were you friends with this guy? And the answer is, I have no idea. Um, but, but he was a good friend of mine for a few years in high school, and, uh, it, and it was interesting watching him because he had this line that he would say, um, he would like start jawing off and mouthing at people, and then he would tell them, hey, you might whip me, but everybody's about to know you've been in a fight. And then the very next thing that happened is a punch was thrown. You know what I'm saying? There was no time to react. Those people, when they got in a fight, they knew they had been in a fight. Maybe you've been in some fights like that. But there's another kind of fight that happens a lot, especially in church. It's like a secret fight. That's the real thing. I'm sure none of you in this room have ever done this, um, but this is the private fight, like where you just wake up thinking about somebody else and what's wrong with them. And you go through your day and you just, all you do is think about what that person did. And when you put your head on the pillow at night, you're trying to go to sleep, but you're just busy fighting with that other person. So you really can't go to sleep. Again, I know it's nobody in here. I'm just preaching to whoever's walking by. They're on their way over to get a cup of coffee. That's who I'm really talking to right now. But this is a, this is a syndrome. I think actually we do have. We have secret fights with people. And so I, I sort of developed this rule to live by, that I try to live by, and that's this, that like if somebody offends me or maybe even just confuses me and I find myself having imaginary conversations with them all the time, that's a pretty good indicator that I need to go have the real conversation. I may need to actually go pick that battle, right? And so that's why the subtitle of the message is how to pick your battles, how to fight well, and how to live unoffendable. That's what we're talking about. So for some people... Picking your battles 
could actually mean not fighting every battle. If you're an Enneagram 8 like me, and I'm sorry if you think the Enneagram's new age, I don't think it is. I like it, so I'm going to use it because it helps me be better. If you don't, that's all right. But listen, as somebody who's wired to be a challenger, sometimes for me, picking, picking my battles and picking my fights actually means not picking every doggone battle. And that's because sometimes I might think that there's a battle brewing, and it's actually not. You ever had that? Like, you just think, like, man, this person's mad at me. Something's going on. I'm going to go just lean into them, and they're like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Sometimes you can, you can presuppose that something's going on. And sometimes you can pick a fight in the name of direct feedback or clarity. I've done this like a hundred times. And when you do that, sometimes you can short circuit a process that the Holy Spirit is trying to take you on to teach you something. And so sometimes you just need to die to yourself. How many know that the call to follow Jesus is still a call to die? I mean, that's what the Bible says. Deny yourself, take up your cross, hello, crucifixion, right? That's some symbolism for you. And follow me. That's basic Christianity 101. And sometimes, though, we, we live our lives like we just want to love ourselves so much that we actually have no clue or understanding what it means to die to ourselves, much less take up our cross. But that is the call. Um, but if you're like me and you'd rather, like, fight every battle, let me, you, let me encourage you today to adopt a spiritual discipline of hitting pause. There's a spiritual discipline of hitting pause. And when I, and when I say hit pause, let me just say this. I don't mean hit pause like avoid. Like, oh, I'm scared, or I'm just not going to go there because I don't, I don't know what that person might say to me. They might offend me, and I'm really just focused on me and my self-care right now, and I'm not going to talk. I'm not talking about pause like that. I'm also not talking about like, man, Berto said something at lunch the other day. You didn't. But it really offended me. Um, <clears throat> it really offended me, and I'm going to hit pause with him, but I'm going to come over here and just talk to you about it. That's not the kind of pause I'm talking about either. I'm talking about hitting pause to invite the Holy Spirit. You ever had this moment where the Lord comes and he's like, okay, I'm going to tell you some things about you that you don't know about you that you need to know about you before you go and try to talk to them. Sometimes the pause is necessary for that kind of moment. But let me just also tell you, if you are someone who's conflict averse, as many people are, and you'd rather just kind of hold on to everything and never actually have to fight with anybody. Sometimes picking your battles may actually mean picking your battle. There are some things that are worth fighting for. And so, like, you might have to actually engage in conflict sometime. If you're in a relationship with somebody and they violate your values, you may need to engage that person about it, right? If somebody is in the church and they sort of violate the values of the house, well, you might have to pick that fight. You might not want to, but you might have to. And sometimes in not doing so, you're actually now turning and walking in disobedience. It's weird, right? You can actually disobey God sometimes by doing nothing. We think sin is just what you do. Sometimes it's actually what you don't do. So if you're somebody who's conflict averse, I'd also encourage you to maybe consider adopting my rule to live by. Which is when you find yourself having those imaginary conversations with someone, go have the real one. Actually, go pick a fight. Sometimes you need to do that. Now, let me tell you something about that. If you do that, if you decide, I'm going to go, I'm going to engage, I'm going to lean in. Let me tell you this. You have got to go in prayed up and with a goal of ending in relational unity with the other person. And if you're not there yet, then you're not ready yet. So you need to stay in that pause place. Again, not to avoid and not to talk, talk, talk in the name of pray for me and let me get advice. You need need like a couple people to give you, maybe one, to to work with you on something like this. If you've got like 20 people that you're talking to while you're pausing this other person, that's probably not the way to handle it. 
But what you need to do is go ahead and lean in, but with the goal of unity. Because if you ever, if you ever, and I've done this, I'm preaching out of my life here, but if you ever go in to pick a fight with someone just to kind of let them know what's up, right? You're going to tear them down. You're going to show them the, the error of their ways, bless the Lord. If that's your goal, you are not ready. When we go into battle with someone, it has to be that we're actually battling for truth, for relationship, and not with the person. Those kind of fights are actually worth picking. So always remember, when you pick your battles, make sure you have a righteous outcome in mind before you engage. And if you're not there yet, then you're not ready yet. All right, that's the fight among us. And some of the fights among us are necessary, but most of them are not. And the reason why is because usually the fight isn't the fight. What we think that we need to engage somebody else with isn't actually the deal. And that's why James does what he does. And he comes in and he gets straight into us. Let's, let's read this again and read the first three verses again. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? Rhetorical question. You lust and you do not have, so you commit murder. You are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask, and you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, so you may spend it on yourself. What James is doing here is he's telling us that we're engaged in fights among us because of the fight in us. So if you're still taking notes, second point is the fight in us. Again, this rhetorical question James is asking, he's not asking, he's really telling. He's telling them, oh, I know why you're fighting. You're fighting because of the pleasures that wage war inside of you. You're fighting because you want something that you can't have. Verse 2 reads like a headline from the, 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 the New York Times about David and Bathsheba. You lust and you don't have, so you commit murder. Now, hopefully, maybe that's not actually anybody in this room today that you're you know, committing murder so you can get something that you want. But the next line, watch out, buckle up. You're envious and you can't obtain, so you fight and quarrel. He's basically talking about the Tenth Commandment. You shall not covet. That's the commandment. But how many know we break it because we want stuff that other people have. We want things that we see. And you got to love this. Then he says, you have not because you asked not. And we're like, okay, I like that. I'm going to have someone like Chris and Duran, like do that on a really nice thing and put it on the wall in my house. You have not because you asked not. Remember to pray. That's cool. But then he comes in. You don't receive because you ask with wrong motives so you can spend it on your own pleasure probably don't have that one on the wall in the kitchen. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and what that tells me is that you can actually sin in prayer. Have you ever thought about this? Like you can sin in prayer. It's really crazy to think about. You're like, oh, I'm going to take this one to the Lord. And I'm just going to go sin right to his face. You didn't know that was a thing? Y'all are looking at me like, that's not a thing. You cannot sin in prayer. Actually, you can. I can be honest. Um, sometimes I will break the Ten Commandment in my prayer. That'll happen. Lord. I saw what he has, and I want it too, right? I'm coveting. If you said you didn't do that, you, then you're lying. That's the ninth commandment, sort of, by the way. So I'm seriously, don't act like you've never seen somebody else get a new job, and you're like, I need a new job. Somebody else get a new car, I could use a new car. Somebody gets a little newer, nicer house, you're like, man, I could really use a newer, nicer house. And then you're like, God, if you would just give me this boat, I promise I'll take my community group. Average, every Saturday, we're going to take them out to the lake. Yeah, I'm sure, right. You did it like once in 10 years. This is the fight in us. This is the fight in us, and this is the fight that we should actually pick every single time. Because there's things in us that we need to battle with so that it can die and we can be more like Jesus. 
When our flesh starts to rise up and we start to want what we don't have, we start desiring what we don't have. Maybe it could be somebody else's bank account. Maybe it could be somebody else's husband or wife. Maybe it could just be somebody that's not your husband or wife. That thing happens. It rises up inside of us and God says, you need to kill that. Pick the fight with that. You don't have to like ask that kind of stuff to show up, do you? You just, you just see what somebody else has got. Or you see what somebody else has, some somebody that somebody else has. And all of a sudden you're like, man, I wish mine was like that. That's the fight that we have to pick every single time. Here's one of the most deceitful things about sin. One of the most deceitful things about sin is that there's so many of them. And what that means is a couple things. One, it's easy to stay stuck in sin because you can kind of like cycle through. Oh, I got victory over this one. No, you didn't. You just changed it out for that one. You know what I'm saying? So I'm going to take the the brisket this week instead of the sausage. You're still eating barbecue. You know what I mean? I'm getting hungry the more we talk about barbecue. (laughs) But there's so many options and opportunities out there to sin that you can just kind of cycle through them. And you think like I'm moving from one level to the next, but you're not. You're just sort of cycling them out because you're not really having the battle within you're just picking a different treat for the day here's the other thing though that's really deadly about the buffet of sin since there's so many things to choose from odds are pretty good that i might have a sinful desire that you don't have and you might have a sinful desire that i don't have but i can find a way to justify my sin right i need a boat for my community group but i condemn your sin man you want more money you're just greedy You see how that works? Lord, give me my boat. I'm going to take him out and tell him about Jesus. He got a raise. He got a bonus. He got a boat. That greedy little jerk. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's the kind of stuff that we do. You see, our selfishness, it doesn't just lead to wrongdoing. Selfishness can lead to wrong praying. It leads to praying with selfish intent. Do you know what the purpose of prayer is? glad you asked. I'm going to tell you. The purpose of prayer is to bend your will towards God's will. But how many know we often pray like hoping we're going to bend God's will towards ours? If you would just, if you would only, if you would please, and he's going, please, if you would only, if you would just. Prayer is an opportunity where we come and we say, God, This is what I see, but what did Jesus say? If there's any way, let this cup pass, right? That's cool. You can pray like that. But, it's a big but that you got to embrace right in the middle of that prayer. If there's any way, let this cup pass, but not my will be done, but yours. If you don't get to that in your prayers, you haven't prayed. I mean, you might have talked to God and maybe sinned in your prayer. But we got to get to that spot. But not my will, your will be done. And when all we do is pray, hoping to bend God to our will, we've got it wrong. And that's the wrong fight. Because we're not actually picking the right fight within us, we keep having the wrong fights among us. Is this speaking to anybody today? All right. You see, there's a fight within us that we need to pick, and we need to fight it well. Let's take a quick look. We're going to stay mostly in James today, but I'm going to go over to Hebrews just real quickly for one verse. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 4 says this. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin. That's tough. I'm going to read it again. You have not yet resisted 
to the point of shedding blood and you're striving against sin. The fight against sin within us is a fight we must fight and 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 fight. And I remember when my oldest son, he recently got married, he's a grown man now, but when he was a he was a young guy, and we were talking about this. And I remember we were standing out in our front yard, and we were talking about the fight against sin. And he's like, man, but like, why won't God just rescue me from my temptations, you know? And I'm like, well, he will, but he's kind of waiting for you to get in the fight with him. You know, and so I start to tell him a, a story about someone who is, you know, falling and they're, they're, fight, they're, they're, they're standing on the edge of a, of a cliff and they, they know that they're going to fall and the ground beneath them is shaking and, and behind them is a rope. But they're, they're so consumed with the idea that they're going to fall into this cliff. They never turn around and just grab a hold of the rope behind them. So all the fear and anxiety, this cliff is giving way, the rocks are giving way and they don't realize there's a rope right behind them they have to turn to, but they still have to turn. And if you don't turn, you're going to fall and you're going to die. But if you just turn and grab the rope that is Jesus, that is the Holy Spirit within you, all all of a sudden, it's like there's a winch on the other end of the thing. It'll start pulling you away. But you have to turn. When you're tempted, you have to turn. And when you do, God will be there waiting to rescue you and save you. But he doesn't often save us from things we don't want saving from. He's looking for us to agree with him, to his will. The problem is, we can't even get to that important fight within us when we spend so much energy having all these fights among us. We spend all our time and energy on the outside with other people. And again, that's the ones that they know about and the ones they don't. It all takes energy. It all takes focus. It all takes your eye off the ball. Maybe I'm the only one But I know, oh my God, do I know that one of the most effective tactics the enemy has to keep me from fighting the battles I need to is to drag me into fights I don't belong in. And I get into these stupid battles with people and never have the fight, the time to to have the battle within, to have the fight inside that matters. I know this is a little heavy. There's some good news coming, but before we get there, there's one more aspect to the fight within us that I just want to deal with. And James highlights it in verse 4. He says this, You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. All right, that's a confusing scripture, right? Anybody read that before and you're like, read that by me one more time? Yeah. All right, I'm going to go full Bible nerd on you here for just a second. I don't know if you caught this, but, G, but, but James says, excuse me, not Jesus, it's James, but it's still the word of God, amen. All right, James said, you adulteresses. So he's using the feminine version of a word here. And your version may say something like you adulterous people, but that ain't what it says. Some translators do stuff like that sometimes. But, but it actually says you adulteresses. And that's not because James, for you men get a little like, I saw some of y'all sit up straight when I said that. It's not because he's talking to women. He's not actually trying to, to, to identify one gender here. But, but the, he, he is saying adulteresses. It is in the feminist, the Greek word, moichelis, which is the feminine version of the word moichos. Kind of sounds like macho, right? I just totally skipped all the way to the end of my notes. Let me back up. All right, there we go. I'm not going to try to get that Greek out of my pocket. I'm going to read it. Um, now, here's what we know. In the Greek, moichos is a masculine term for adulterer. Moichelis is the feminine of the same word, and this is all on purpose. If you sit next to somebody, tell them it's on purpose. 
It's on purpose. It's on purpose. Here's why. James isn't referring to a specific gender. He's actually referring to the body of Christ, which Paul tells us is the bride of Christ, right? That's why it gets talked about in that way. We all are referred to as the bride of Christ. And I'm sure, again, Pastor Berto's already covered this. This letter is written to Christians. So he's talking to people who are trying to follow Jesus. And James says this, hey, 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 bride of Christ. When you get so consumed with your friendship, your friendliness with the world, don't you know that that's hostility towards your husband? That's what he's trying to say to us. So you got to get the context right of this verse to have it make sense. Because sometimes you can read it and get confused. And you're like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm not supposed to be friends with the world. I thought Jesus came for sinners. Didn't he die for the whole world? Why is friendship with the world make me an enemy of God? Well, let's talk for a second about what he's talking about when he says friendship with the world. His friendship with the world is not the same thing as friendship with people, with humanity. Friendship the world looks something like this. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. That's friendship with the world. Desiring personal pleasure more than spiritual pleasure, right? That's friendship with the world. Caring more about what unbelieving people think about you, what you have, what you wear, where you live, than what God says about you, like Chris told us earlier. And by the way, when you're caring more about what unbelievers think than what people sitting in this room who are trying to walk with you in discipleship community think about you, that's friendship with the world. Part of coming into agreement with God is coming into community with God's people. And so when you care more about what outsiders think about you than what insiders who know you think about you, you've decided to put yourself at enmity with God and his system and his ways. And you've adapted now to the Lord and the ruler of the world. In his ways. This is the stuff that James is dealing with. And James being very tied to his ancient Jewish faith. If you ever study James, you'll know, like, he was, man, he was a full-blown Jew. Like, all the way. He wasn't letting go of the old practices, even though he's following Jesus. I mean, he was like, this is a big deal to him. Well, James knows that all throughout the Old Covenant, and you can read it all throughout your Old Testament, that when the people of God put anything before God, God called that adultery. In fact, at one point, Yahweh even wrote a certificate of divorce to Israel, you adulterous people. I know God hates divorce, but he divorced all of them. They ain't brought them back yet, but it's a whole other story for another message. You can preach that one someday. All right. James is saying here, even in the new covenant, adultery against God, it's still a thing, and it looks like friendship with the world. It looks like friendship with the ways of the world, the world's systems, pursuing what the world calls success, looking at what they say you have to do to be somebody. When they say you have to achieve X, Y, Z, or we don't care about you, and you go, man, well, then I care more about that than what this old, ancient, crusty book says that I should care about. That is adultery from God and God's ways as you go and philander with the world and the world's ways. And James is saying, this is actually a deadly game that some of you are playing. You murderous people. I don't think they actually killed to try to get somebody else's spouse. I think he's probably pulling on what Jesus said. Like, if you hate someone in your heart, you've already committed sin against them. If you lust after someone in your heart, you've already committed murder against, uh, adultery with them. I think he's kind of getting at that. Like, I know some of y'all are thinking, man, I wish I could take him out so I could take her home. You murderous, adulterous, envious people. That's what James is saying. It's hard, right? Just so we know I'm preaching to me too, not just you. But this is what the word is telling us. So when I do this, when you do this, when we do this, as the bride of Christ, we're committing adultery against our husband. 
I know this is tough. Y'all, y'all still with me? All right. This brings me to some good news. Just take a deep breath. Here's some good news. I'll tell you some good news. There's one more fight that we can and have to engage in, but it's also one that we do not have to fight alone, and that is the fight for love. Let's look at verses 5 through 8 and then verse 10. Or do you think that the scripture speaks to no purpose? He jealously desires the spirit which he's made to dwell in us. But he gives the greater grace, and therefore it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. Did you catch that in verse 5? James says, says this, like any good husband, like God is jealously desiring the spirit which he made to dwell in us. Now, I've studied this quite a bit, and so I think some people think that maybe that's talking about the Holy Spirit. I don't think so. I think James is actually talking about the human spirit that God made that he put inside of us. He's trying to let us know that he, he longs jealously for the loyalty and devotion of the human spirit. He knows we're so easily distracted and easily tempted and easily carried away, easily satisfied by things other than him. He knows that all those things are, are out there pulling on us, but he knows something else about all those things is that they will fail us, and he knows something about himself, which is that he won't. So when God says that he jealously desires us, it's actually because he wants what's best for you and for me. Following the will and the ways of God is not about coming into some tight, constrained, I don't know if I can fit inside of this way of living. It's actually stepping into freedom where you don't have to do all the things that you want to do. And you get to be who God, your creator, made you to be. That's what this is all about. God doesn't just desire jealously for us to do different things. He desires that we would desire him above everything else. Isn't this the way it is with human marriage? It's design. I did a wedding last night. I got marriage on the brain. I got my wife sitting in front of me. She's beautiful. I love you. All right. This is what marriage is for too. It's to actually represent the relationship between the people of God and Jesus to an unbelieving world. And this is why it's so important that we function like a bride, as the body of Christ, that we function towards Jesus like a good, devoted, loyal bride would towards her husband. Now listen, the world is full of smart, sweet, kind, beautiful women. But do you know who I want more than any of them? Who has all my loyalty, all my love, and all my devotion? It's this one right here, Ashley Delane Brown. So for me, anybody but her would be a counterfeit, would be a false idol, would be a way of the world. And if I pursued anybody else, that would make me a what? Three of y'all got that. An adulterer, that's right. And actually, I would become her enemy. Just ask her. But thankfully, as amazing as my wife is, God is even more amazing. In this, that he fought the fight for love at the cross while we were still his enemies. Now, I know she loves me, but if I ran out on her, I don't think she's probably going to the cross for me. Jesus did that before we were even in the relationship. Actually, he did that so we could get into the relationship with him. He did it for love. And something else about love I have to talk about here is that God gave us I believe he gave us free will to be made in his image. And part of being made in his image requires the capacity to love. 
And I don't think you can have the capacity to love unless you have the capacity to not love. So in our free will, God knew we would drift, like that old song. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. He knew that we would leave and love other things. But in the face of all of this, verse 6 tells us that he gave the greater grace. He gave the greater grace. And that greater grace is the gift of salvation. Which, by the way, is not available to the successful and perfect. It's available to the humble. The topic of grace, it's deep. A lot of meanings, a lot of applications. You could preach a ton of sermons on it. Some people build their whole ministry on it. That's how much there is to it. So I do believe there's some level of like common grace that's available to everyone, you know, like water, oxygen, life. All right, that's a grace thing that God's given to everybody. If you're living and breathing, that is a miracle of grace. But there's another kind of grace, a special grace, a greater grace, as James calls it here. And though it's not earned, in a sense, it's merited. And when I say that, it's not merited like we think about merit, like working, striving, trying to earn something. That's not what it says. But it does say this. It says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to who? To the humble. That's right. And it's important that we kind of catch this theological nuance here because he's not saying you can earn your salvation. There's literally nothing you or I could do to earn our salvation. But what the Bible does say is that we can position ourselves to receive his good grace of salvation. And it's not through being perfect. It's not through being better than anyone else, being more successful than anyone else. It's actually not even being nicer than someone else or being kinder than someone else. Um, It's about being humble before God and knowing rightly who yourself is. And who you need. You know, I'm firmly convinced that heaven is actually not full of good people. I'm about to take this thing out. Sorry. Heaven is not actually full of good people who did a bunch of good things in life. I believe heaven is full of people who humbled themselves in life. Who saw a perfect, holy, 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 righteous God and then saw themselves in light of that and said, whoa, who am I? Man or woman of unclean lips with filthy hands. Like Paul said, wretched man that I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to Jesus Christ, our Lord. That's who's in heaven. I'm telling you right now, the people who are with God are the people who humbled themselves before God and said, I can never be good enough. I need your righteousness to clothe me because I've tried everything else and I keep failing. Those are the people who receive the greater grace. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes? Maybe you're here today and you know Jesus. Maybe you're here and you don't. Whatever side of of that you're on, here's what I know. By the Holy Spirit, Jesus is here too. And he's jealous for your heart. He's jealous for your love. He's jealous for your spirit. And all he's asking is that you just turn around from the edge of that cliff. That you just take one step to draw near to him. And then the promise is that he will draw near to you. Jesus loves you so much. Oh, by the way, I hope you can grasp that once you start to recognize just how much God loves you. It's so much easier to let go of all the false loves that this world has to offer. It's so much easier to live an unoffendable life when you realize that you and I deserved hell, total separation from God, but that in his goodness, in his greater grace, he gave us everything at the cross. It's a lot easier to be unbothered and unoffended when life doesn't go our way, when, when people don't respect us the way we wish they would or treat us the way that we wish they would, when you know that, man, 
I actually deserve nothing and God gave me everything. And all we have to do is stay humble and follow him. And he promises as we humble ourselves at his feet, he will exalt us in the light of eternity. That's only something he can do. So if you're here today and you know that you need to lay something down, you've been fighting the wrong fights. Maybe you've been picking them out in public or you've been fighting them in secret. You might be saying, I didn't mean to, I wasn't trying to, but I've picked something, I've picked someone instead of God to go after. And again, maybe you've known Jesus your whole life, but you're ready right now to actually humble yourself and say that he can have it, that he can have your life. And I want to pray for you. I'm not going to ask you to raise hands or, or, or come up, but if you would, just close your eyes. I'm going to pray for you. And when the service is over, I encourage you to come talk to your pastor or one of your leaders here. And let them know. Man, I'm trying to drop something today. Will you hold me accountable to dropping this thing and to holding on to Jesus? I know they will. Lord, I thank you for your good work. I thank you for your greater grace of salvation. I thank you for your word that is able to speak to us, that is able to lead us, that is able to guide us and dissect us. Lord, I thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit that actually gives us the grace to overcome in this life or that we don't have to be slaves to sin anymore. In fact, you, you say in your word in Romans that, that we are no longer under the dominion of sin. We're no longer a slave to sin. We're set free from the law to walk in grace. Lord, I thank you that you've called us to do that, that you've called us to live like you and you've given us everything we need to do it. You've given us your word, you've given us your spirit, and you've given us your people. What more could we ever ask for? Lord, for those here today who are saying, God, I want to lay something down. I want to lay someone down, and I want to pick up Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would come to him right now in this room by the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, that you would come and sit on them like a wet blanket, Lord, that you would just cover them with your love, cover them with your grace. Lord, may they feel your good pleasure and know that it is a greater pleasure than any pleasure the world has to offer. And Lord, would you put them in a bubble of your grace that as they walk out today, we know sometimes the most important day in the week of a Christian ain't Sunday, it's Monday when we got to go live out what we just heard preached. Lord, would you put them in a grace of your bubble? Though the enemy may prowl around like a roaring lion, help him to know he's just like one. He's not one. He can't get them. Those, those things that they're tempted by, they have no real power except what we give them. So, Lord, would you show us, show me, Lord, those things that our heart wants to drift towards. Show us just how inept they are. Show us just how lacking they are. And, God, show us just how good and how big and how great you are. In just a moment, we're going to remember the sacrifice Jesus made to make all of this possible.